Well, it's been quite a weekend this past weekend. Uh, yesterday, we had a group that was very active. We had uh, a group of volunteers to go to the Convoy of Hope this past Saturday. They're across from the Wake Medical Hospital, uh, about eight acres, where they had over, uh, really over 6,000 individuals there. I think they prayed over 5,000 people there and I was able to minister to them and, and to uh, give them food and love and various other uh, opportunities there. And so we had a group that just were, was part of that, very excited about that. Then we had another group that uh, was doing some car washes in one of the shopping centers in Nightdale and uh, doing that just as an act of, of a love and blessing to the folks that took that up. And then we had a, another group that was passing out water uh, to uh, some of the softball parks, baseball parks. And uh, I think we've had some people uh, from our church folks uh, that share the gospel with someone for the very first time. They've never shared the gospel before. And so we had quite a few folks doing that. And then we had, uh, if you came back here on Saturday, you'd see that there's a group of men and individuals that were uh, doing some work right here in the church grounds and just uh, making this place a, a beautiful spot. And they just did a, a great job of doing that. And, and so you had uh, all kinds of opportunities for folks that were uh, serving people and serving this community and uh, it's just a, a wonderful testimony and I look forward to hearing all the stories that came out of this and, and some of you've been involved in projects previously some of you still have some Sunday school class classes doing a project later on and uh, tonight we're going to have a good opportunity uh, to have our church family to come together and hear some testimony about what the Lord was doing uh, in each one of these Sunday school projects. And so uh, the idea is that uh, after tonight that we'll see these things as well as be challenged uh, in our walk with the Lord and, and putting our life out there and being a blessing to others. That, that The idea is that this isn't just a 40-day uh, episode. Uh, we did this in 40 days, but the idea is to understand this is normal church life. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24, that we're to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but exhort one another uh, and to provoke and to love and good works. And so much more as you see the day approaching, referring to the end times. And so that's what we do. And that's what we've had the privilege of doing is working together in our small groups to encourage our faith, but also to do love and to show good works, to glorify God. And so uh, I'll just... Re- wholeheartedly recommend for you to come out tonight and to have this uh, opportunity together to hear what's going on. I believe we'll have child care as well uh, as, as part of that, and uh, that'll be at 6 o'clock. And, and then there were a silly few of us that uh, were involved in a triathlon. There's two or three of us that did that. Uh, I, I was one of those. And, uh, you know, it was a test. I don't know if you ever looked at these tests and are these uh, marathons and various things that people do, and you wonder, well, why do you do these things? That's a good question. I'm not sure the answer, uh, but it is a test. Uh, you know, I was there, and we had John Boozer, and uh, he was a part of it, and he did the triathlon, and uh, he came in uh, first in his his division, and uh, that's a testimony to his preparation, also to the fact that there may have been one person in his division. Uh, he claims there was five, but I don't believe him. <laughs> uh, you know, and so he, he got his. And, and then Alan Samant, he heard about it on Thursday. And so he shows up on Saturday and does this, borrows a bike, never rode a bicycle before, uh, and, and does this. And he survived it. 
And I think it was a, a testimony to his lifestyle. Uh, his, his lifestyle is a preparation, if you know him, just hanging out with him will wear you out. Uh, but I, I think he would tell you today, uh, Dreamer could testify, that uh, he would train before he would do this again. Uh, then there's me, and I was doing it, and, and I was looking around, and I saw these folks, 400-some people doing this, and I thought, you know, all this, these people have been spending the last few weeks, unless you're Alan, preparing. You know, they're training. It is a test of how they have been behaving and the weeks coming up to this. And if you think about it, that's what tests are. It is a record of how you've lived your life, whether it was to study uh, mentally uh, or as behaviorally to get some exercise down. And so it is a reflection of how you've been spending your life up to that point. Well, I'd like to take you in the Bible, in our study of Genesis, we're going to find that it is a record of a test. Uh, in Genesis chapter 44, we have the uh, encounter of Joseph and the brothers. If you remember the story, and those of you who do not, I'll, I'll catch you up. The story is, Joseph and his brothers have been apart for 20-some years. Over 20 years, uh, in fact, it's probably been closer to uh, 22, 23 at this point. And the last thing that Joseph remembers about his brothers is this. His brothers hated him. Hated him because he was the favorite son of, of their father, Jacob. Um, hated him because he was good and seemed to tell on the father about the things they would do. And the last thing he remembers is they arguing over what to do with them as they have assaulted him, beat him, and threw him in a cistern. Uh, they were hoping to, to kill him, but then they thought better of that and they left him in the well for him to die, a dry well. And there, Joseph pleaded for his life. He wanted mercy. And the brothers had nothing to do with it. And they stayed on eating their food as they were begging, eating their meal. Judah one of the brothers comes up with the idea of, you know what, if we're going to do away with our brother, we might as well at least get some money out of this. All right, just thinking, thinking very pragmatically and said, well, why don't we sell him, sell him to some of the slave traders going in. They, and they did. They sold him for some silver and they left. He left his brothers in chains. The last time he ever saw his brothers, the last time he ever heard their brothers was their plot to sell him. And there he walked away, drug away. Never to see him for 20 some years. In that time period, God has done a wondrous work in Joseph's life. His hand has been upon him and the various adversities that he has gone through. And Joseph has now seen the working of God and he has been uh, miraculously brought to the position of influence, second in power in Egypt, where he has been used to uh, pre preserve not only the Egyptians, but all the nations, including his own family, uh, from the famine that was to, to occur. And so he is seeing the hand of God in his life. And because of that, he has also been able to have compassion and even forgiveness in his heart. And now his brothers come back into his life. They come in asking for food. They don't recognize Joseph. It's been a long time. And so Joseph uh, stays incognito. He, he doesn't reveal to him who he is. And so he, he does... Some tests. First of all, he wants to find out about his brothers, about his father, Benjamin, his, his, his true, uh, 
biological brother by father and mother is not there because he is the baby of the family, the much-loved son of Jacob, the only one remaining of Rachel's family because Joseph has been, uh, well, he's been lied to and, and thought that Joseph has been killed. And so Benjamin is the, is, the, is the treasure of Jacob's eyes. He doesn't let Benjamin go anywhere. He doesn't want him to die. And so the first time the brothers come, Benjamin's not there. Joseph wants to see his son or his brother, Benjamin. He wants to uh, to know he's well. And so he inquires and tells them uh, and makes an accusation against them and say, you cannot come back to unless you prove you're not spies by bringing your brother. They go back home. Uh, Joseph gives the money back to them uh, for the food that they bought. They live for a whole year. Jacob's delaying, hoping that this doesn't have to happen. But sure enough, they run out of food again. The famine still goes on. They make a second trip, but this time they bring Benjamin, much to Jacob's sorrow. And here they come. Joseph sees him and sees his, his brother, whom he hadn't seen probably since he was maybe a one-year-old little baby. And here they come. And so Joseph prepares a feast for them. And he, they have a, a meal together. And he is... Uh, Overwhelmed with just seeing his brother Benjamin. And so they're getting ready to go. They spend the night there. And Joseph wants to know something. Have my brothers changed? Have my brothers changed? There's been compassion in his heart, forgiveness in his heart, but there's not yet reconciliation. Joseph has not yet still revealed who he is. But he's about to. But before he does... He needs to learn something. And I believe it is what he learns in this test that prompts him to reveal who he is. And so that's what we find in Genesis chapter 44. We're going to read this together, verses 1 through 34. It's really a one-point sermon, so uh, you'll get it down. You'll figure out what it is as we go. And so let's stand together as we read Genesis 44, verses 1 through 34. Then he commanded the steward of his house... Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of the sack. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practiced divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks were brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. And he said, let it be as you say, he who is found with it, with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? 
How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are from my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, oh, my Lord. Please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead. He alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has borne torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant our father with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of a boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. You may be seated. So Joseph concocts this scheme, this test. Simply, he says to his steward on the way, take this cup, silver cup, put it in Benjamin's bag, take all the money and put it back. Catch up with him. Tells him exactly what to say in this accusation in verse 4. Why have you paid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks by this? He practiced divination. You've done evil in doing this. Exactly what to say. And so that's what happens. The servant catches him and tells him and, and accuses him uh, of this. And uh, the, the brothers are very confident. They say, you know what? We, we didn't do this. And so they, they make a brash statement. If you find this cop, then whosoever bag it is, you may kill them. They will die. And so that's the accusation, but the servant says, no, 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 that's not what needs to happen. He knows what is in Joseph's mind. He knows the test. And so he says, no, we're not going to kill them. We're going to uh, put them in slavery. There's only that one, and the rest of you can go. And so they set up from the oldest to the youngest. And you can imagine the, the, tense, the tension and the relief every time they've gone through all the bags and then all the bags and they get to the Benjamin and there's a kind of a sigh of relief. You know, none of us is doing it and it surely won't be Benjamin. But they open up the bag and to their horror, there's the cup. Notice their reaction. You see that when they see this, verse 13, they tore their clothes. Every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. Interesting. They could have, if it was in their heart, left. See you later, Benjamin. <laughs> you know what? It's been nice knowing you. You're the favorite son of, jo- of Jacob. 
You've taken Joseph's place. We don't like you. We, we hate you. This is good riddance. But they don't. You see that there is a sorrow in their heart. And there is desire to save Benjamin's life. And so they all go back to Egypt. And notice Judah becomes the spokesman. When Judah and his brothers come to Joseph's house, they fell before him to the ground. Joseph asked him some questions. Why did you do this? Don't you know I can practice divination? I think he's still holding up with his disguise here. He says, you know I've got special knowledge from God. You've seen how I put you from the oldest to the youngest at the table without, without you telling me. And so they think that there's supernatural aspects to him. And he says, yeah, I know these things. And don't you know I'll know when someone steals my cup and I know it's one of you. And so he's kind of holding up with the disguise. And so Judah becomes a spokesman. Now Judah, you remember Judah? This is the one that the Bible's highlighted also in this story. Back in chapter 38, we find that it's, uh, that Judah is the one who, who brings up the great idea to sell Joseph, to get the money. And then we find out in chapter 39 that Judah's the one whose children are so ungodly that God brings a premature death in their life. And so they leaves a, a daughter-in-law and, and Judah doesn't take care of the daughter-in-law, just kind of leaves her and forgets about her until his own wife dies and, and he starts seeking prostitutes and unknowns, uh, has a child with the, with his own daughter-in-law. And so we find, my like, good gracious, Judah, what's going on with you? And, and we, and the, the message is, is that he's becoming like the people around him. He's left God. But in that moment, in that time, we find that God does a work in his sin and we find some real humility at that chapter. In that chapter. Now he's become the leader. Not Jacob. But he's become the leader. And stepping out. And he becomes the one. That shows repentance. Shows repentance. And so you notice in verse 16. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? We see first of all. Sorrow. Sorrow. And this act of repentance. But it is not sorrow alone. It is normal for us when we get caught to be sorrow, to be, to be sad and to have remorse and want to, to get away from the punishment that's coming. And so we see that, but then we see something else. Notice what he says in verse 16, 16. God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now what is Judah, ta- Judah talking about? Is Judah guilty of the silver cup? He is not. He's not guilty. And not only does Judah know that, Joseph knows that he's not guilty. But yet he talks about the guilt of his servants. He says, you know, we are guilty. What is he talking about? He realizes that God is aware of his past sins, of how he's betrayed Joseph. And he believes that God is having his hand in this circumstance. And at this point now, Correction and punishment is coming. Judah saying, you know what? I'm not guilty of stealing the cup, but I am guilty. And any punishment that comes my way, I realize I deserve it. Not because of the cup, but because I am guilty. You know, I've heard said that uh, if you ever had a, a false accusation given to you, you know, and someone says make up some lies about you, and yet we get mad, we get angry. Uh, they're, they're ruining our reputation. But when we're really honest... Maybe we're not guilty of what they said about us. But if that person really knew our thoughts and knew our intents, they could say much worse, could they not? 
And we realize, you know what? That's a lie. But if they knew the truth, it'd be so much worse. You know what that is? That is humility. It is understanding being sober, judging yourself in a realistic manner. And so we see the humility is going on in Judah's life. He realized, you know what? Any punishment that comes my way is due me. He says, but we are my Lord's servant, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. He's saying, not only Benjamin's going to be a slave, we're all going to be slaves. Interesting enough, that was the very fear that they had in coming to Joseph's house. He says, you know what? He's going to make us slaves and he's going to steal our donkeys. And so we don't know what Joseph's going to do with their donkeys. But now they're volunteering, we're going to be your slaves. We would rather be your slaves than have Benjamin alone. As a slave, we would rather serve you the rest of our life than have to go back home to our daddy and tell him what's happened to Benjamin. But Joseph replies, no, no, I don't want that far. Be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Why is Joseph demanding that? Because that's the test. That's the test. He says, I've seen one time in your life you sold me into slavery. Because loved by Jacob. I'm offering for you to do the same again. You can give him up to be a slave. And you can be totally guiltless in this. You go home to dear old daddy. And you can tell him the truth this time. I'm giving you a way out. Will you do the same thing twice? What's been going on for the past 20 years? Have they changed? So this test. Provokes the longest speech in the book of Genesis. It begins right there at verse 18. Judah is the one that delivers this heartfelt speech. Basically, you see in verse 18, all the way from most of it, he is recounting what has happened. He says, Joseph, let me tell you what you do not know. You know how you've asked us these things. But this has been Jacob's heart. This has been his thoughts. This has been his feelings as we've gone through this. And it's all about the love of his father for Benjamin. He says, this is, well, this is what's going to happen to my father. And so as he brings this on, verse 32, he says, you know what? I pledge to my dad that if something happens to him, may the blame be upon me all my life. And because of this speech, verse 33, this is what he is begging, what he's arguing, what he's persuading Joseph to do. Verse 33, now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to the Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Out of love for his dad, out of love for his father, he says, let me take his place. Please send Benjamin back. As I read this and studied this, I, I thought about the book, The Tale of Two Cities. This is a book. I actually read the, the assignments that was given to me in school. I enjoyed the reading. And so I read this sometime in middle school, a book by Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities. And it's a beautiful picture of the, the love of Christ. And, and at the end of the story, you have these two characters, Charles Darnay, who has a wife uh, uh, and also uh, another uh, individual who is a, a lawyer. But he has lived uh, a, kind of a scoundrel of a life. And lived on, on wine and lived selfishly for himself. Sidney Carlton. But we find that he, Charles Darnay, is in prison because of his ancestry in France. And he is headed for the guillotine. 
and Sidney Cardinal finds out, Carlton finds out about it, and he gets uh, a contact of his is that's a prison guard, and he, he lets him uh, come in to talk to Charles Donnay. Now, the thing is about this Sidney Carlton is he has an eerie resemblance to Charles Darnay. And so he says to him, I said, I'm going to take care of this for you. Basically knocks out the character, has him sent out. And Sidney Carlton takes his place, Charles Darnay's place. And he says this line, a far greater thing I do now. Than have ever done before. A greater love I know now. Than I've ever known before. And out of love for Charles Darnay and Charles Darnay's wife. He puts himself in the guillotine. I thought about that scene. And what this man is doing out of love of the father. It is an act of repentance. It is an act of love. What's the big deal about repentance? Why am I bringing this out? Well, let me just share with you some New Testament passage. Kind of put your finger right here in Genesis. But I want to, I want to take you to, to some New Testament passages. Let's, let's go to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1 verse 4. Did you know that when Jesus was being introduced and his ministry was introduced, it was to be introduced with the theme of repentance? Mark chapter 1 verse 4, John the Baptist is the one preparing the way for Jesus, preparing the way for the gospel. And Mark chapter 1 verse 4, notice the message that, that John is doing. He says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. We'll see that. That phrase that this kingdom of heaven and baptism and the gospel is associated with the word repentance. We see the same in, in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 verse 3. Uh, Jesus is being asked about some tragedies that is occurring in, uh, in that time and place. And they're asking, you know, these folks that died in this tragedy, were they worse sinners? Because, is that why they died in this place? And so they're, they're asking Jesus to explain this, and Jesus kind of turned it on them. I mean, he didn't try to explain why these things happen, why bad things happen, but he said, you know what? Unless you all repent, you will all likewise perish, unless you repent. He says, you know what? Don't be worried about them or whether or not they're sinners or not. Be worried about you and repent from the sin that you know. Unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. At the end of his Life here on this earth after the resurrection in Luke chapter 24. Notice what he tells his disciples. If we looked in verse 46, verse 47, he is giving them the commission. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to keep telling what you've seen. Keep teaching these things. Luke 24, verse 46, 47. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer. And on the third day, rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. He said, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are to preach repentance. Do you, if you are a follower of Jesus, do you preach, uh, preach repentance? Do you know what repentance is? Well, what does the early church do? Well, we see some examples of this in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you go to verse 38, G, uh, Peter has the Holy Spirit now at the Pentecost. He is preaching to the crowds. And he says to the crowds, the first sermon of the disciples after the Holy Spirit comes, 
He says this. Peter said to them, repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that it was conditioned on their repentance. You go one chapter over, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Notice what Peter is preaching again. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Your sins may be blotted out. You keep on going. Acts chapter 8. Just a few more chapters. Verse 22. And talking to Simon. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. You see this theme repeated all throughout Acts chapter 17. A few more chapters, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked. Paul is teaching this in Athens, and he says this. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. You are under the command of God to repent from your sin. If you're listening to this, If you exist on this earth, you're commanded to repent. You think, well, you know, that's great. What about in the future? Well, interesting message. Let's go to the last book, the book of Revelation. This is a book that talks about what happens in the future, how God will reveal himself in the end times. Acts chapter 2, verse 5, he is writing a letter to some of the churches in the area. And he says this to one of the churches, the church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. One more chapter, Revelation 3, verse 19. Another church. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He is correcting those he loves. Therefore, he says, if uh, so, be zealous and repent. It is the message throughout the entire Bible from the Old Testament to the Gospels to the new to the uh, the early church, the revelation. The gospel is always associated with the idea of repentance. So what is repentance? It is to do what Judah did. It is not just to say, I am sorry for the things that I've done. How can I make my name clear? There is no more making the name clear, but is to shun, to hate what you've done. And now you put action to your thoughts. I remember my dad shared this before. You know, I would always do something wrong, you know, weekly, daily to begin with. And, you know, as I got older, I knew what was coming. Yeah, I knew the whole process. And so I thought, well, let me see if I can short-circuit any of this. You know, the consequences that's going to come. And so I would quickly say, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for how I've done wrong. But it didn't short-circuit anything. He would go on and still lecture me. 
you know, mom would just kind of let it go and, but left it up to dad and dad would explain all his thoughts about what I did and why it was wrong and, and would just go on and on and on and, and it seemed to repeat himself. I'm like, dad, I'm sorry. What more do you want from me? And I didn't really know the answer until I became a dad. What he wanted. He didn't want my sorrow. Because it's sorrow wasn't enough. So no, child. <laughs> Sorry's not enough. What, is, what do they want? They want to know that what I did, that I know it was wrong, and that I hated it. The problem was, is I would do it again. <laughs> and I would love doing it again. What's needed is repentance. Is to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Put the ball in their court. What can I do to make it right? It is a changing not only of your mind. It is a changing of your heart to see and to agree that with God. That what he says about your actions and your attitude is abominable. It is hateful. It is to be despised. And you agree with that value that God gives. And you say to God, I hate it. I hate it. I shun it. Doesn't mean that we will never do it again. But if it happens, we will be in the dilemma of Romans chapter 7 to say, That which I long to do, I do not do. And that which I hate to do, I do. And God, can you deliver me from this? Can you give me a heart of repentance? See, the thing is, is as I read the gospel and I share these verses about repentance, it tells us very clearly that if repentance is not in your heart, you have every concern and fear for your eternal destination. If there is no repentance in your heart, it is right for us to be fearful of death because we are not showing the very assurances of salvation. What is the assurance of salvation? Is it not to walk in the commandments of God, to walk in the truth as First John tells us, that if we sin, we confess, and confessing is an outward expression of our repentance. So notice what happens here. It was always in Joseph's heart to have compassion and mercy. He had given them grain. He had given them food. He had given them a meal to eat. But it was not until the brothers confess and repent that Judah gives full disclosure. Listen, God has been merciful to you. God has given you blessings and good things. But listen, if you do not repent, you are not experiencing what God can provide for you he wants reconciliation he wants to give you mercy but until you repent mercy is always waiting and never given but let me take you to judah you also have an older brother an older brother who out of love for his father Says to you, you are guilty, you are sinful, you are self-centered, and the Heavenly Father will have to judge you. There is an eternal judgment that awaits you. But God loves you, the Father loves you, and he does not wish this to happen. So out of love for the Father, Jesus, the descendant of Judah, comes and acts as the older brother and says what they deserve I will take. I will take. And he lays his 
life down on the cross for you. What's the difference between Judah and Jesus? Judah was guilty. Jesus was not. Jesus was not. But he is of the line of Judah, the older brother who will demonstrate such love to you. Now here's the sad point. If you have no repentance in your heart, you have no assurance of salvation. That's the reality. The gospel is always marked with repentance. Do you agree with God's judgment of your self-centeredness? If that's not there, then you pray and say, God, grant me a heart for repentance. Change my heart. Let's pray.